You're listening to the Call Me Mr. You, the podcast, your new home for inspiration, family, sports conversations, and a lot of other stuff. We're your all-purpose pod for an all-purpose life and your weekly mirror check before you go change the world, baby. Enjoy the show. I'm your host, Mr. You. Welcome back to the all-purpose pod for an all-purpose life. Wherever you are today, however you listen to the podcast for the people, thanks again for making they call me Mr. You. Just a small part of your morning, your day, and your week. With your weekly mirror check before you go change the world, baby. You know, I'd venture to say that this might be a very important episode. I'm not sure if it's because of the context or what, but it took overcoming several, and I mean several, different interruptions, technical and personal, to get this to you today. So I don't know what it's going to mean to you or where this is going to land with you, but I pray that you enjoy this fruit of my labor, so to speak. So I want to start the episode off with a question. Four words I thought worthy to ask you today. So all of my listeners who are listening out here, here's the question. Do you know me? You heard me right. Do you know me? It seems like an easy question, right? Any student given an open book test would scour the World Wide Web, social media, or any resource they can find from close friends or trusted sources. Do you know me? If you found this question to be too much to research or something you feel pretty confident about already, you probably can throw together a few facts or some best guesses. You most certainly can easily find some knowledge and information about me But my question wasn't, do you have information about me? My question was, do you know me? In our world, we have a tendency to associate what we hear about someone with what we actually know. If this level of relationship is more investment than you want to make in life right now, it wouldn't be completely hard to remain in that general information area, you know? I know this much and that's enough. I don't have to learn anymore. I'm not responsible for any more information. In fact, most people are in that space all the time and it's their preference to remain there and never leave. Full disclosure. I asked that initial question not because I'm full of myself, but it's the safest one for this discussion. Why? Because I don't expect to be fully known by people. I don't anticipate that I'll be in the running for the most popular of the year or the life of the party. I don't even expect to be the first or even in the top 10 of your invite list for the hottest events going on locally. I don't expect it. In fact, I'm probably more introvert than it might appear. I know some of my friends who probably never even thought about this kind of question are scratching their heads wondering, how well do I know him? They're probably employing the power of recall right now. Wondering if we discussed key details over that cup of coffee or when we were at that thing together. Did he mention his favorite color? Do I know where he originally hails from? What was his favorite food again? These and many others may appear to be tedious details to some. I'm going to unlock a thought for you during this episode that might help you out a little bit. It might help you out with relationships as well. Maybe it'll provoke a change of heart in all of us on how we approach that. 
earlier I was talking about our human tendency to sell ourselves on the idea that if we compile enough information about a person or topic, it implies that we know it or we know them. Hmm. Let's unpack that a little bit more if we can. Even the average student studies mounds of data and information. It could mean they're more familiar with the topic, but it doesn't mean that they're experts, right? As it stands across the board, we know what we know, and we don't know what we don't know. I don't know if there's an exact name for this quote-unquote psychosis, I guess. Maybe we can call it proximity bias, or maybe familiarity disease. You might not know what to call it, but it is pervasive. It's everywhere. Imagine for a moment that you're from a small town and you've lived there nearly most of your life, but you decided to move to the big city and started doing well for yourself. You became very successful. Upon returning to your old hometown for a visit, you quickly discover that everyone isn't happy for your success. The people that smiled in your face all those years, all the time, they want to take your place. Backstabbers. They're having discussions at the local train depot, chiding you at the market, running your family name down at the post office, and wondering who you think you are with your soft clothes coming back home to lord your good fortunes over the good people. You came back home to visit family, but instead, what you got was a face full of stuff and drama you didn't ask for. Scripture teaches us that when Jesus returned to his hometown, he was unable to perform great miracles. The place where he was most familiar, the place that held so many great memories for him where his family resided, was one of the few locations where his power was not only unwelcome, but it was in effect nullified. Rendered moot. Null and void. To be clear, it was not that Jesus could not perform miraculous works. I believe he did some. But he declined to do so because of his work environment, so to speak. A very early example of a hostile work environment. Anyone that lived there that was afflicted with crippling diseases before he arrived were in the same condition when he left. What a tragedy when the healer isn't allowed to heal. What was the impediment to all of the people being unable to comprehend the miraculous right there in their midst, right there in the flesh, so to speak. What was the ultimate stumbling block that kept them from knowing freedom in their bodies and freedom in their minds? It was nothing more than the information they possessed and their inability to find the truth despite that information. See, they had information, but it didn't serve them well. The information they had limited their ability to see and understand. So, that, so that's kind of a uh, something to think about right there. That's what happens when information goes wrong. See, the inescapable reality is that we all hear stuff. We all see stuff. We all make determination about what we see and what we hear. The reason I asked you at the start of the episode, do you know me, is because in the area of relationships, we bomb at this more than anywhere else. We stop at general information and refuse to go any further. I don't know if it's laziness. I don't know if it's just fear. 
I don't know if it's pride and arrogance. I don't know what it is, but we generally stop at general information and refuse to go any further. The people of Nazareth had general information about Jesus and his family. They knew his address. They knew his father's wages. They knew how they talked, the kind of clothes they wore, what markets they would go to to shop. (laughs) They had general information about Jesus and his family. In their minds, there was no discernible difference. But we failed greatly because we stopped at general information. Many of you out here are beneficiaries of great blessings. But there's people around you or who knew you back when that look at you and they can't discern or detect anything different. No discernible difference. To them, you're still the same person from back in the day, back in the yard, back on the corner, back on the, in the farm or wherever you come from. You know what I mean? You get me. Let's do a little exercise today. The first sentence is the general data. The second is the assumption made when no other data is gathered. Okay, I'll say that again. The first sentence is the general data. The second is the assumption made when no other data is gathered. You in sociology class. You're welcome. He's from Brooklyn, so he must be from the ghetto. The first sentence, he's from Brooklyn, is the general data. The second is the assumption made when no other data is gathered. He's from Brooklyn, so he must be from the ghetto. Next sentence. He talks loud and he moves his hands when he talks. Second sentence. He must be angry. The first one is the general data. He talks loud and moves his hands when he talks. The second is the assumption. He must be angry. Next question. Or next sentence, excuse me. He talks fast. Next sentence. So you probably can't trust him. Next sentence. He doesn't talk to everyone. The second sentence says, so he must be antisocial. The first sentence is the general data. The second is the assumption made when no other data has been obtained. In other words, you stopped at a place you should have kept going. You camped out in a place you should have been passing through. We do that a lot in life. The children of Israel are a great example of that kind of behavior. They camped out in a place they should have been passing through. Many of us will never admit it. We may not say it in open places, but we do the same thing. We're in places right now we're supposed to be passing through. It wasn't expected that we pitch a tent and hang out there. Something better for us was on the other side, but we chose the temporary instead of the promise. Some people are really cool with the little information that they have. Maybe it points to an unwillingness to gain more information, to learn further, to prove, to probe, kind of probe deeper, to be responsible, to build on what you know and have learned. I don't know. It's kind of like that student that's cool with doing just enough to get by. Know anybody like that? As long as they don't get a D or F, they're cool with a C. If they pass by the skin of their teeth, it's cool. Just let me pass. I'm not worried about college. 
and grants and degrees and scholarships. Just help me pass so I can get out of this. Jesus returned to his hometown offering salvation and liberty. His town people, his town people were like, nah, son, I'm good with this here ignorance. I'm good with this. You know what I mean? The wilderness is often given a bad rap. But it really wasn't that bad. It was a testing ground, an opportunity to trust and grow, to develop oneself. It got bad when people stopped developing themselves and stopped trusting in God and stopped growing and learning and walking in obedience and following instructions. That's when it got bad and people started dying. It got real. If you knew that in order to get a huge promise, all you had to do was endure some extensive camping for 11 days. Most folk would do that in a heartbeat. People go out in the wilderness right now and camp or glamp, depending on what you prefer. People do that now. I heard about that most of my life. I didn't do it, but I heard about that a lot of times. People go to upstate New York and they'll camp for days in the wilderness. So it couldn't be that bad. (laughs) People are still doing it centuries later. But who would sign up for a wilderness experience that lasted 40 years? Yeah, I don't think so. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Actually, I did that at my old job and I quit after eight years. That was a wilderness experience. But 40 years was too much for me. I gave him eight. I decided to go to the promise instead. But that's just me. The stay in the wilderness lasted 14,000 600 days. It should have been 14,589 days less. It happened because the children of Israel were content with general information. Anything deeper and not intensive was too much effort, too much information, and a distraction from the good times that they were craving. Can I tell you something that might just help you out through really rough times? Knowing Jesus' name and how to pronounce it Knowing some of his history is not the same as knowing him. I know you may feel like you know that already. And you feel like you're doing everything you're supposed to be doing. But hear this, please. Knowing his name doesn't mean that you know him. His name is general information, especially depending on how you use it. The people of Nazareth couldn't receive breakthrough because they felt like they knew all there was to know. Spoiler alert. They didn't. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to answer my next question, but here goes. Would you classify the following people as strangers to Jesus or somebody that was well known to Jesus? The woman with the issue of blood. The ten lepers. The woman with the alabaster box. The centurion soldier. I'll give you those four again. The woman with the issue of blood, the 10 lepers, the woman with the alabaster box, and the centurion soldiers. Were they strangers to Jesus or were they well acquainted? None of these individuals knew Jesus personally. So how was it that they were able to receive miracles and blessings? Jesus' own townspeople knew him or had information about him and could receive nothing. 
these strangers, these 13 strangers, woman with the issue of blood, the 10 lepers, the centurion soldier, and the woman with the alabaster box. Didn't know him personally, but received miracles and blessings from him that changed their entire lives. Some on the brink of death, some decades in pain and suffering, some with nothing but what they had in their hands, and some wallowing in sickness and disease and being ostracized from their homes and their families and their businesses. Didn't know Jesus personally, but were able to receive miracles and blessings. All of these individuals from different walks of life, no doubt, had one or two things in common, though. One, they believed that being connected with him was better than not being connected with him. Please don't let that get past you there. Think about that one. They had something in common. They believed being connected with Jesus was better than not being connected with Jesus. And two, they took a step to be closer. So the first part was, yes, connection with Jesus is a good idea. I need to do that. The second thing they had in common is that they all took a step to be closer. They all did something about what they knew. They acted on the information they had. The first part was just general information. You know what? A general idea. You know what? Hang with that Jesus guy is a, probably a good idea. I should do that someday. And the second thing in common was to take a step and do that, to be closer. That was a key step, in my opinion, for how they could receive miracles and blessings. Man, that is so important. And any wholehearted attempt at relationship requires that all parties do the same. Take a closer step. Lean in. Invest. Get past the realm of general information. Although there were sacrifices made by all, I love the steps of the woman with the alabaster box and the centurion soldier, most of all from those four. Take time to read both accounts. I invite you to do so. They both, they both did something that was really critical to me in my mind as it pertains to relationships in general. It's been stated constantly through scripture that faith is the language that God speaks. By it, worlds were framed. By it, people were healed. Through it, everything that was made was made. Without faith, it is impossible to please the Lord, the Bible tells us. The woman exemplified a relationship by showing devotion and taking something that was costly to her, which was the alabaster box, and used it as a symbolic gesture of honor and worship. No expectation of return, no request for services. She took a loss just to express her love and gratitude for someone else. That is powerful. Let that sit while we discuss the centurion soldier. In this case, the centurion didn't even ask for Jesus' help. According to the accounts that we have, elders and religious leaders recognized how devoted this leader was to his soldiers, and they petitioned Jesus on his behalf. His mind was on his soldier that was dying that he cares for so much. He wasn't thinking about himself or what he was losing. He simply wanted his soldier to be healed and for his life to be restored. Somebody spoke up for him, though. He didn't speak for himself. Somebody spoke up for him because of his character and the integrity of his life. That's important in all of this. Do you know what it's like to relinquish your hold on something that you value greatly so that a friend can live better or have their needs met? Have you ever done that before? When was the last time that happened? Will you relinquish your hold on something 
you value greatly so a friend can live better and have their needs met. When's the last time you made a sacrifice like that? Have you ever had somebody speak up for you and it was legit and the request was heard and your need was met? You didn't ask for it at all. Somebody spoke up for you because of the character that you had, the integrity you walked in. Got any friends like that? All of these heard of Jesus, just like the people from your hometown heard about you. They figured they got it all figured out. They know where they're going to be in life and how far they're going to get. If it's okay with you and it's not too forward, may I take a moment to set you free today. All the people talking about you and have never taken the time to know you are walking around with what I call a limited vision. They can buy a mattress and place it right on the showroom floor at Lens Crafters and it still won't help them see things any better. They can see the past and the present somewhat, but it's limited by their own view. If their view of the past is, this town sucks and we're never going to grow and have cool things, we're always going to be poor and this is our life until we die, then everything that happens is... <sighs> Beside that, it's just it's, it's going to be from that viewpoint. Someone can leave town, become a lawyer, have a great family, have a little money in the bank, and very rarely will the town people celebrate them. They'll see them as an anomaly, create alibis for how it probably happened for them, and still have enough time in their assessment to let you know they know better than me. See, by nature, we are computers. We compile, store, and analyze data, facts and information, accounts and stories, details, points, words, minutiae. Because we're the original computers, like a computer, we only retain files for two reasons, really. Like a regular computer. The first reason is we maintain files because they're important for the user. We use them. We build on those. We rely on those for our everyday use. Their necessities. The second reason that we retain files, like a real computer, is that the files are germane to the entire system. Removing the file can potentially damage the system's integrity and leave it vulnerable, dysfunctional, or ineffective. Like a computer, we store information and data all the time. Sometimes we retain information we don't need and get rid of information that is crucial to our success. We shouldn't, but we do that sometimes. Also, just like computers, we require basic code and information in order to function when new data and information is entered. Anyone that has written code or is computer savvy may be able to explain this better than I am. But when a computer is initially set up, it requires a series of codes, functions, so that when other data is entered, the computer can recognize this to be foreign and reject it as a syntax or a programming error or whatever. It's not radical to believe that the centurion soldier, the woman with the alabaster box, the woman with the issue of blood, and the ten lepers, among many, heard about Jesus and his miracles. But so did Jesus' countrymen. You know they did. So what was the bridge between what they heard and expecting liberty for themselves? They took a step beyond the general information that they already had. They moved in closer. They leaned in. They invested to understand, to perceive, to experience. They trusted without evidence. No matter what. That is what is being asked of all of us. If you can just if you can't just take that step in general in relationships, you're going to find this really hard to swallow. This is going to be a hard episode for you to swallow, a hard pill. It really will be. 
no matter what, that's what's being asked of us all. If you know that there can be improvement in that area, this might be a great first step for you. Like we said earlier, when you desire to know someone or gain information on something that matters to you, don't you take steps? Don't you explore? Don't you dig deeper? Don't you take risks and ask questions? Don't you listen? Don't you think about it and ponder it? That's what you already do with things that matter to you. So why won't we do that with the things of God? Why won't we do that with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit? Why won't we explore it? Why won't we dig deeper? Someone wiser than I said we make time for the things that we care about. I asked you the question earlier in the episode. I asked you, do you know me? Today and every day, I hope that you hear it, but every day, constantly, Jesus is asking you the same question. Do you know me? You know about him. You know where he's from. He knows mom and daddy's name. Some cool things that he did that you heard about. Some words that he said. But the question still stands. Do you know me? Wherever you are today. However you listen to the podcast for the people. Thank you again for making a Call Me Mr. You. Just a small part of your morning, your day, and your week. We your weekly mirror check before you go change the world. Have a great day. Thanks again for supporting our show. Coach out. Thanks again for listening to the Call Me Mr. You, the podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show. Please like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel for all of our full-length live episodes. And of course, if you're an audio listener, wherever you enjoy your podcast listening, you can find the Call Me Mr. You, the podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show. Go change the world. Coach out.